we humans are open to manipulation and are manipulated on a daily basis several times. The higher the pressure, internal or externally, the greater the diversity and the bigger the impact of the various biases. It would be naive to believe that crisis, no matter whether the current one we are in or others, will not cause any damage in this respect. Social engineering plays a key role when it comes to the fraud risk assessment. Social engineers love crisis and our inherent risk of losing focus and giving up priorities. Good to have you here. Corporate integrity, fraud, non-compliance and cybersecurity. Would you like to understand the root causes, detect threats and take measurements to protect the most precious assets? As a leader, you need to be prepared and stay actionable in the event of an incident. Sonia Sternemann talks in her podcast, The Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. To leaders and entrepreneurs who want to have impact, foster corporate integrity and act as role models. As an international expert for corporate governance and integrity, entrepreneur and independent board member, she knows the challenges. Let her inspire you. Welcome back to this new episode of the podcast, The Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. You might be an investigator, an integrity enthusiast, a business leader, corporate integrity counsel, or on your way there. I'm your mentor when it comes to corporate integrity with impact, founder of Corporate Integrity Concepts and the Corporate Integrity Academy. With the vision to protect and secure assets, reputation and actionability, yours and the one of your organizations. Why? Because corporate integrity matters to all of us. And now let's talk about how social engineering plays a key role when it comes to the fraud risk assessment, especially how we can protect ourselves and our organizations against it. Manipulative social engineering. Raising awareness also when it comes to topics like biases is where everything starts. Without being aware of XYZ, no transformation can happen. Therefore, I'm convinced that with our personal awareness of being biased, the protection already starts. And if you extend it to your team, your organization, you have a powerful tool at hand which is understood and supported. That is what you need to secure your most precious assets. When it comes to social engineering, there is that common myth of putting the firm to tech side and forget. But it is everything else than tech only. It is just us, our human being. By saying that, I also let you know where that topic comes from again, as it is something I discuss with my clients and peers on a regular basis. It was a discussion on management level held between the finance and IT responsible when the responsibilities of social engineering and of course the risks of it were taken up. Now, you could also say that these people were not the right ones discussing it. It could be. But who are the right ones? It's interesting is that the topping was taken up as such. Because what I often see, they don't even talk about it. Because it's 
just a no term. The finance responsible is part of our corporate integrity leadership circle and brought it up in as they did not find an internal solution how to deal with it. So he together with the IT guy. And if these very mature leaders discuss these topics and not find a solution yet, I'm convinced that it could also be relevant for some of my listeners. I'm a big fan of everything related to social engineering as it is an art. That's how I perceive it and how I see it in both ways, how to conduct social engineering and how to identify it. Of course, my passion is that identification a process and to raise the awareness for my peers, for my client, clients, and especially also for myself. And I'm always astonished to see what is possible when individuals and organizations make a step towards including the knowledge of social engineering into their frameworks. If you are interested in learning even more about social engineering, the Corporate Integrity Academy provides you with the knowledge, tools, courses, and especially with the professional network of life-minded experts. And we really often talk about it and how to prevent and protect our organization against social engineering. So, I already mentioned that I see the part of social engineering like an art, a very old one. But in some discussions or publications, it is made up as if this brand new hyped topic would also only impact technology. Definitely not. Since we exist as human beings, social engineering is around. Social engineering is used to steer and manipulate for thousands of years. And not only humans, you can also have a look at the world of uh, of animals. The animals are not less professional in doing so, but that's another story here. So when someone asks me which level in an organization should increase their awareness of social engineering, my answer is quite simple. And you know it already. Everybody should increase the awareness regarding social engineering. It does not help at all if every employee's is aware, but not, for example, the board of directors or vice versa. A good level of fraud and social engineering awareness is key to have a robust framework to prevent fraudulent actions from internal and external, no matter what kind of territory you are in. So cyber, of course, included. A colleague of mine told me how his compliance department was completely overloaded over the last few weeks, of course. Regulatory changes required additional measurements within the existing framework. The crisis, when I record this podcast, we are still in the middle of the pandemic, with measurements of home office, remote working habits and uncertainty regarding the business also impacted his global compliance team. He asked as the head of the department with more than 100 people spread all over the world also faced additional leadership challenges. His focus and priorities shifted. The status urgent often became more attention than the status important in the leadership team. And the reaction towards the crisis was very, very individual. Yes, he experienced that we all, what we all did and all do when we face crisis. Our peers, no matter at which level, react and behave differently. 
Priorities are shifting, shifting away of what was agreed on, consciously and unconsciously. It is much easier to social engineer us because we are already under an additional pressure. In this case now, under the pressure of a crisis, an external crisis. Our biases, even when we were quite aware of it in the past, during normal circumstances, are stronger and louder, but often not heard. He told me that without the frequent external reflection he had within our peer group, he would definitely have gone to the same trap as some of his colleagues. The trap of not recognizing the biases, how he was being manipulated or they were being manipulated and how a dangerous priority shift harms the entire organization. So let me start with the first fact that I see when crisis hit us, ourselves and our organizations regarding to social engineering and biases. So the crisis shifts priorities. A shift in priorities during times of crisis is necessary. We all agree on that. So the reassessment must be made and the focus is on the ability to act. While those responsible are organizing themselves, others are doing the same on an organizational level, especially in the area of fraud and cyber risks. Adaption to new circumstances rarely takes long or shouldn't take long. But often too long in my opinion and the reasons are manifold. On the contrary, and that is the most important part of us to protect our most precious assets, the scheming of the malicious social engineers does not stop at global crisis, but discover them as an entry point to prey that was often not on the agenda before, so they have an additional possibility for them. So their business model becomes even more successful. I mentioned at the very beginning, social engineering loves crisis. Of course, especially the malicious ones. Fact is, when a crisis hits, either there were already preventative measurements in place or nothing will happen during the ongoing crisis because you just don't have the time to do so. During the crisis, the resources will be allocated to business continuity management, which means managing the impact of the crisis as such immediately. That's the reaction to it. While the responsible board of directors, of course, included focus on the above-mentioned duties, the vulnerability of non-compliance, economic and cybercrime increases silently. When it comes to the fraud risk assessment, we have to keep in mind and refresh that there are different stages organizations are related to a fraud risk assessment. Either it is, and these are just examples, missing, not effective anymore, or biased. You will now mention that there is a fourth category missing, the one which has a perfect implemented fraud risk assessment in place. Yes, you are right. And... The experience taught me that in crisis, these well-matured fraud risk assessments immediately shift to number three. And I will tell you more about it in a few minutes. 
None of the three categories will succeed against fraudulent behavior, but due to different reasons. So keep in mind, missing, not effective anymore, or biased. So let me give you as an overview and especially more beef to what these three categories means. So three categories of fraud risk assessment status is when it hits a crisis, or the first one is obvious. Category one, a fraud risk assessment is missing. Without having a fraud risk assessment in place, the potential risk is not identified at all. As the responsible know about the circumstance and do not trust on an existing assessment. The vulnerability is very high or low. We just don't know about it because we haven't done it so far. Impact and likelihood of fraud is not assessed nor under control. So it's not managed at all. That's the first category, just not having a fraud risk assessment in place. So coming to the second one, we have another starting point. The category two is the existing fraud risk assessment was made more than five years ago and not updated within the last 24, eh, last 24 months. With having a fraud risk assessment done, even a long time ago, responsible feel safe. Unfortunately, what I see in discussions with my clients, too safe. Wrongfully. There is hardly safety in an old risk landscape, nor in an old fraud risk assessment. Understanding how technology and business models evolved and changed over the last years and months. It is obvious that also the risk, risks change dramatically. So if not updated, it's false security. And not updated fraud risk assessments provides false security for all of us and especially the ones relying on it. The last category we talk about is, is the one which sounds mo most unfair. But we have to be aware that also when you have that new fraud risk assessment, your attention is needed. That's the category three called the fraud risk assessment is less than 12 months old. It's a pretty new one, isn't it? Talking to this last category of organizations might be the hardest because they have a brand new one in their mind. But having heard what I, what I, what I mentioned for category two, most of it also works for category three with an additional challenge that having had the assessment within such a short time frame will mislead the awareness of security. The crisis or the incidents, today it's a crisis, which hits the organization needs to be understood to ensure that the potential new risk can be taken up. When the fraud risk assessment is still new, it does not mean that the new risks are, are already involved or included or understood. So taking the COVID-19 pandemic as an example, but it's not the only one, I assume that hardly any organization expected, before the crisis hit, to have the work-from-home percentages increased to the maximum. In short, it was not foreseen or it was not on the risk landscape when they performed their brand new fraud risk assessment. In short, all three categories face the challenge of either having loose ends related to the fraud risk assessments or nothing is in place.
In addition to that, what a lot of the companies deal, still do not yet have in place is the crisis scenarios. The preparation for such incidents is not yet done. Specific controls designed for the incident handling processes are often be dropped and hence the opportunity to defraud the organization increases significantly during crisis. And the next one is coming, promised. But now, how do you strengthen non-compliance and fraud resilience to a competitive advantage? Even during crisis, I would like to invite you to reflect on the following three questions, which can be taken as your take-home or take-to-the-office uh, office assignment and also used within your team. And it's not only related to non-compliance, economic or cybercrime. So think a few minutes about what is the actual status of the above-mentioned categories, the three categories. It is not about blaming yourself or your team. It's just a fact. Reflect on your status you have right now. What would immediately reduce your vulnerability. So you can, of course, think creatively. The third one, where are the resources who could have the first impact on this reduction of risk? And why not having an internal virtual challenge, identifying the weak spots you might have? Thinking like a fraudster, Where are your vulnerabilities? And of course, please make sure that, that you communicate in a setup which is safe for the organization too. So because this discussion is really going to be very helpful for you and your team to find the blind spots and the weak spots. We have seen tremendous input from all different hierarchy level on the questions raised during the last challenge. And I'm convinced also your team from the board members to the apprentice, will highly appreciate your effort of thinking beyond crisis. Being aware of, your, of our human threats regarding biases, becoming manipulated and shifting priorities is key. My personal conclusion is that the fraud vulnerability can significantly be decreased by raising the awareness of biases social engineering and risk intelligence. No matter at what stage we are with our organization, crises are happening and when we wait until the next one hits us, we are not prepared. When we use the time before and after, the vulnerability receives the necessary attention. So do you remember your take-home assignment? What is the actual status of the above-mentioned categories? What would immediately reduce your vulnerability? And where are the resources who could have the first impact on that, on that reduction of risks? As always, you will find the questions again in the show notes. This was number 15 of the human factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. Following the belief corporate integrity secures and empowers individuals and organizations, Would you like to learn more, meet peers and getting qualified? So visit the website Corporate Integrity Concepts or Corporate Integrity Academy. Or do you think this podcast could be interesting for someone you know? Sharing is caring and we are always happy to welcome your peers to our community. And if you like this episode, subscribe and don't miss any of the future ones. The show notes are, of course, enriched with relevant information 
and your connection via any of the social media channels is highly appreciated and will be answered. Promised. And please do not forget, topics of your interest or interview partners are highly welcome. Just send me a note on any of the channels you know. That's it from my side. I thank you for listening. My name is Sonja Stiernimon and I'm your host. Stay curious, actionable and a role model. Take care and goodbye.